fellowship. All right, well, let's open a word of prayer. Let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we don't want the words of man. That's a waste of time. We pray that the word of God would convict, encourage, strengthen, exhort, rebuke if necessary. Everyone who's here, draw us closer unto you. Mold us more into the image of our Savior. Help us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. We pray also for those that are watching on live stream right now or will watch this later on Vimeo or YouTube or hear this on the radio that you administer to their hearts. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. So last week we left off with David's unsuccessful attempt to bring the Ark of the Covenant back or to Jerusalem where the capital of Jerusalem is going to be. Now remember Chronicles, this was written for the, the children of Israel who had been in bondage for 70 years. And now they're coming back from bondage and this letter was written to give to them so they would know their history in Jerusalem because many of them that were coming to Jerusalem had never been there before. Because remember what happened when the time of the judges and then the times of second, first and second kings, there were nothing but evil king after evil king. And God finally brought righteous judgment and they were drug away into captivity in Babylon. So they've been there for 70 years and now they're coming home. And so if you've been here, the first nine chapters are genealogy. It was to remind them of their heritage. The focus of first Chronicles is on King David. So it brings to the line of King David and now we've gotten into David's life. Uh, it kind of skips over some things. We won't see Bathsheba in First Chronicles. David's probably happy about that, but we won't see her in here. There's several other things we don't see in the text, but we're really focusing on the life of David and what happened in Israel during his reign as king. So last week, remember, they were bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, which was a good thing. But if you remember that the ark had kind of been out of sight for a long time, and they found it and they were bringing it back and they had, they wanted to do the right thing, but they did it the wrong way. Who remembers what happened last week? Ask Uzzah. What happened to Uzzah? He touched the ark and he died. Remember that they were called to carry the ark on poles and they put it on a cart because that's what the Philistines did when they had the ark for a time. Remember they had the ark for a time and it brought heartache to them. So they sent it away on a cart. And so they followed the world's example instead of following God's commands. And guys, that's an exhortation for all of us. We always follow what the Lord says, never what the world does. Amen. Well, sadly, it started to fall off. Uzzah touched it. They died. He died. And then the ark was now placed in another place. And so we're going to see them next chapter. If you're here next, thir- next Wednesday at uh, well, chapter 15, we'll see him uh, finally getting the ark to Jerusalem. So these two chap- this chapter here is kind of a three-month break between their attempt to bring the ark home and then in chapter 15 when they do bring the ark home. And during this three-month period, David is now finally king after running from his, for his life from King Saul, after hiding out in caves, after winning battles, but then not you know, having to worry about his own life, but knowing that God was in control, David has finally been crowned as king. And we're going to see now that he is king, that God is going to start doing a work in and through David. So tonight we're going to look at that three-month period of time. We will see in tonight's text, after all the years again of running, he is now king over all of Israel. We'll see the blessing of God upon his life as he faithfully serves the Lord and his people. We're going to see it's a time, at least for a time, of peace and prosperity, recognition by the nations that surround him. Are they going to recognize David as king? And some are going to, some are going to, in tonight's text, we'll see it. Some will be supportive and some are going to want him dead. And you know what? When you make a stand for the Lord, there's some people that are going to encourage you and love it, and there are going to be other people that want to silence you and want to keep you from sharing your faith. Amen? We live in a world where some will be encouraged by it. It's amazing to me, and, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but I'm a, Bib- I'm a Bible guy, and it's very clear that in the world we will have tribulation. We are going to go through trials and difficulty. We will face opposition from a dead world that wants to live a sinful and unholy life. You simply entering the room brings conviction to wherever you go because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Amen? And the world wants to silence you. And the world wants to keep us quiet. 
When you and I make a stand for the Lord and are being faithful to God, some will rejoice and support you, and we'll see in tonight's text, while the world will often attack and seek to distract or destroy you or silence you. So last week, we looked at making decisions and making mistakes. We talked about staying teachable and do the things, right things the right way. Respect the holiness of God. Don't be angry at what you don't understand. Walk in faithful obedience, uh, not fearful rebellion. Don't let difficult times drive you away from the Lord and let God bless you. And if you haven't, if you weren't here for that message, you can go to our website. It's on there. And then that brings us to tonight's text. If you have your outline, grab it. I tell him the message, it's time to take a stand. David's going to do that. It's time to take a stand. It's time to take a stand for the Lord, to not worry about what the world is doing. Here's the reality. Whatever the world does has nothing to do with what God has commanded us to do. Amen? Now, we should be burdened for the lost. We should have a heart for the world, but we're in the world, but not of it. So standing for the Lord and his word. First, to God alone be the glory. When we wake up in the morning, our goal for the day should be to glorify his name. Amen? To glorify his name in our prayer, in our time in the word, in our actions, in our attitudes. You know, you're the only Jesus some people will ever see. You may be the only Christian in somebody's life that interacts with them. And we're to be salt and light and to let them see Jesus in us. Any gifting we may have comes from the Lord. And we are to use our gifts for God's glory and to minister to his people. This happens even in the church. People are more worried about being famous with men than faithful to God. Especially now with all the social media, you have people saying outlandish things to get followers. Guys, it doesn't matter again what the world thinks. It's what the Lord says, and we need to be faithful to it. Point number two, we must never put fleshly desires or worldly power or riches above faithfulness to God and his word. It is so easy to fall into the pattern of the world. It is so easy to strive for the things that the world tells you that you need. I've been selling advertising for a living for 37 years, 34 of them with the same company. And we sell the whole, we sell advertising. What is advertising enticing you to do? Buy stuff. And usually it's buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't know. Amen? Right? You put it on a credit card, buy it. You don't need it. Spend money on it so other people will be impressed with you and reality is nobody really cares. But we need to get over that and recognize that we must never put the desires of our flesh, our worldly power for riches, above faithfulness to God. We must never put people knowing our name above us pointing people to his name. We must make him the, the reason that we live and move and breathe and make sure that we are leaving. I hope when, when we walk away, they forget us and they remember him. Amen? Number three, when we stand for the Lord the world will stand against us. You know, we can't expect the world to treat us differently than they treated our Savior. Amen? He's perfect. We're not. And they treated him with disdain, and they're going to treat us the same way because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen? So we should not be surprised when the world doesn't treat us with love and kindness. We can't expect them to treat us that way. We must never lose sight of our complete and total dependence upon the Lord. Without him, we can do what? Nothing. nothing. And that word nothing in the original language means nothing. So you can't do anything without the Lord. That means apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, I can't do anything. But praise God that he can use the foolish things of the world like me and like you, that he might be glorified through us. Number four, the enemy does not give up easily. He does not give up easily. Satan hates you. He wants you dead. He wants your life destroyed. He wants your marriage torn apart. He wants your children walking in rebellion. He wants you to, to get, have a sin in your life that becomes more important than your relationship with the Lord. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can't kill you, he wants to distract you or disqualify you or render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. That's what the enemy wants to do. And I know, look, I know Sundays have been pretty heavy lately, looking at false prophets. And my prayer is, and I hope that I've done this, and you're, you're all invited. I've shared this with you before. When I deliver especially hard stuff, I want to make sure it's always delivered in love. And if it's not, you come challenge me, please. I'm inviting you to do that. 
Because sometimes when you talk about heavy and hard things, people say, well, Pastor Dave, why do you, why do you got to pick on the Mormons? Because it's a doctrine of the devil. We love the Mormon people, amen? We love the Jehovah's Witnesses, amen? We love everybody, amen? And we need to love them the way the Lord loves them. But at the same time, they're a tool of Satan and they don't know it and they need to be born again, amen? And the worst thing we can do is sit back and act like, well, that's just another denomination. No, it's not. Their founder was married to 30 women. He was a fairy tale writer who wrote fairy tale books, who wrote a book saying that it's, the word of God was so messed up, we had to get another book to fix it. And in their books, Jesus and Satan are brothers. No, stop. It's not okay. The enemy doesn't give up, and he doesn't show up at your house with a pitchfork in his hand looking like the devil, right, with horns in his head. He's going to come knock on your door with a little, you know, a little name tag, riding a bike, Amen. They're going to come and they're going to deliver to you the false gospel. And you know what we need to do? We need to know the word enough to love them enough to tell them the truth. Amen? We need to make a stand. The enemy doesn't give up easily. And we need to know that our God is greater. Amen? Satan is a defeated foe. He's already lost the battle. Our God is greater. I read the end of the book, God wins. Amen? It's good news. Yay, God. And then be doers of the word and not hearers only. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. You know, God saved us, redeemed us, forgiven us. It's by grace. It's by grace. You know, we're saved by grace, mercy, and faith. It's not our good works, but good works are fruit of salvation. And I, and I, I just had this conversation yesterday. I've got a new client. I love when I get new customers. I don't get them very often. I have about 200 accounts. I got a new account and he's from Israel. I think we had a good talk. For two hours, we talked about the Lord, and he's Jewish, and we, it was great. I loved it. After two hours, I said, well, I probably should talk about your advertising now. And I'm going back to see him this week again. He's like, come on back, man. He's already talked to me on the phone twice. He's going to be here eventually. He just doesn't know it yet. We're praying for him. <laughs> but I love when we get to talk about Jesus. I love when we pray for those divine appointments, and God just opens a door wide that you weren't even looking for. And I want to encourage all of us. Again, let's be doers of the word. And what I said to him the other day, he's like, well, the Bible, he says, we have, we have 200 and something rules in Judaism. I said, how are you doing on that, bro? How's that working out? He said, oh, it's, it's difficult. It's not difficult, it's impossible. He said, yeah, it's impossible. I said, so what happens to you when you die? Oh, I'm not sure. I said, That's, you want to hang on? I'm not sure. Amen. Guys, we're going to heaven. We have the promise of eternal life. We can't keep it to ourselves. Amen. And one of the things I said to him, he goes, but the Bible has so many rules. I said, no, it's, again, you've heard me say it before. It is not a fence to keep us out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. He doesn't want to keep us from fun. He wants to keep us from harm. He's your heavenly father and he loves you so much. He'd rather die than live without you. So he wrote all this down to protect you from harm. Amen. And that's why we study the word of God. So let's begin. They're looking at it's time to take a stand, standing for the Lord and his word to God alone be the glory. Verse 1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees with masons and carpenters to build him a house. Now there's somebody you'd like to know. Guy shows up, knocks on the door and said, hey, I'm here to build you a house. Not going to charge David a dime. Extra credit. Where have we seen this guy before? I'm going to be really impressed if you know. Where have we seen him before? This man right here, Hiram. He helps build the temple in the days of Solomon. So Solomon is David's son. So before he helped build the temple with Solomon, he's coming to David to help him build a palace. David is coming to Jerusalem. It's been barren for 70 years. His neighbor of Tyre, the Phoenicians, he comes and recognizes David as a king and wants to make an allegiance with him. And the way that he does it is he builds him a house. He brings, they have the best wood there. And, the, and they not just bring the wood and the materials, but he's bringing the carpenters and the masons to build a palace for David. So he hears that David is the king. There's finally a king over all of Israel. He shows up and wants to bless him. And there's, their hearts are going to be knit together through this. Hiram is... Again, a man who honors David, and that shows David's influence and importance. And Hiram brings, again, his new neighbor more than a plate of cookies, amen? 
You know, you move into the neighborhood and someone comes to your door with a plate of cookies or a casserole. You know what? I was a Baptist. We called it a covered dish, right? Bring in a covered dish, right? They show up with a, here you go, right? He built him a house. And Hiram recognizes David for who he is. He gives David not only the materials need to build it, but the finest craftsmen as well. And David's relationship with Hiram shows that he was more than just a man of war, but he knew how to build friendships and potential alliances with other kingdoms. So David was, we know the Bible tells us he was the greatest king Jerusalem ever had, Israel ever had. The greatest king until the king of kings came, amen? And so because he's a good king and we know that he has flaws, we're going to see some of them in just a couple verses here. We know he's a flawed man, but he's a man that God used mightily. Then it says there in verse two, it says, so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel for his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. Now he's actually known this for decades, but now it's finally coming to fruition. Remember that when he was out watching the sheep and Samuel showed up at his house and asked his dad, Jesse, saying, one of your sons is going to be anointed king. I've come to anoint him. He doesn't even bring David out of the field. He just leaves the, runny, the runt of the litter out there watching the sheep. And they go through all the sons and it's not them. And then finally, he says, go get your other son. And he brings him in. And this is the one. And that's where we have the verse that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Because on the outward appearance, David was the runt of the litter. litter. But, he, but God saw the heart that David had. And so David was anointed king. And then he just went right back to being shepherd. They didn't even let him go out and fight the Philistines. And they're out there battling. We know the story. And again, David is sent by his dad to go check on his brothers. He brings them some cheese, right? He's the milkman, right? He's showing up to bring stuff to his brothers. And he hears Goliath challenging the children of Israel. And they're all shaking in their boots. And they all go and hide. And David said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? See, God knew his heart. He had the heart of a godly man, but he also had the heart of a warrior. And it's okay for godly men to be warriors and godly women to be warriors. Amen. It's a spiritual battle that we fight. And David slays Goliath, sends the Philistines running. And then David begins winning more and more battles. And then he starts singing songs about David. Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. Saul didn't like that. So Saul's trying to kill him and chase him down. Eventually, Saul dies. His son Ishbosheth is put over Israel. And David is only given Judah. For seven and a half years, he has only two of the 12 tribes. And then finally, now it's all been brought together. Now finally, he's in Jerusalem. And now finally, they're building a house for him. And this is when he says right here, then David knew that the Lord had established him. See, he'd been anointed king decades earlier, but now he's in his mind, I'm really the king. I now have a palace that's being built. We now have the capital in Jerusalem. I have a, God's given me authority over all of Israel, over all of his people. And no doubt, his heart's skipping a beat. Notice this, what it says here, though. David knew two things that were going to make his reign great. See, he sees what God has done. He says, notice he says again, so David knew that he had made himself king. Is that what it says? that he won the mighty battles and he was the cream of the crop and he deserved that authority. Now that's what most of the other kings on the planet were doing. When they won, they, gave, they took credit. David is now king and he's giving God the glory. The Lord had established him over king of Israel for his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people. So David knew two things that make his reign would make his reign great. And every godly leader should know these two things. Number one, that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. So David knew that God called him and established him. God called him and God should get the glory. Amen. So if God has gifted you and God puts you in a position to minister to others, God is the one who has gifted you. So God alone, to God alone be all the glory. Amen. The second thing here is that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of David's ego. Is that what it says? For his people. See, ministry is always about people. Amen? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? Because he loves people. Amen? Why is he coming back to redeem, to, to take us home? So it's about people. 
And this is what can happen in ministry too. It can happen as believers. We can get so caught up in doing our own thing that we lose sight of what this is really all about. It's all about loving God and loving people. It's all about glorifying God's name and giving him all the praise and the glory and the honor. And then if God chooses to use us, by the way, if God gifts you and chooses to use you, we're going to be held accountable for that. Amen? The parable of the talents, right? There's two separate parables about talents. There's one with one, two, and five. And the guy with five goes out and brings back 10. The guy with two brings back four. The guy with one buries it in the sand. Then the master comes back and gives him back. Well, I knew you were an austere man, so here's your talent back. God didn't give us a talent so we could bury it. Amen? And by the way, if you're breathing in and out, God's not done with you. Amen? God wants to use you. We want to encourage you to use the gifts God's given you. Your gifting is a gift from God to glorify him and to minister to his people. And again, David knew that God wanted to use him to bless his people. And it was not for David's sake, but for the people's sake that David was lifted up. I get nauseated when I see what happens in ministries where people are so enamored with personality, so enamored with, with a pastor or a person, and, they, and they, it, the ministry goes by their name, and, if, and then if people like that fall, the whole church falls apart. Guys, if we're following a man, we'll fall apart when a man falls, because you know, evidently, eventually, many of them will, amen? But if our eyes are on the Lord, he will never fail you. He will never fall short. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we're his followers and we need to be pointing people to him. So if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, the church just keeps going and I'm in heaven and I'm doing better than all of you. Amen? So the encouragement here is that David is being reminded, he already understands, hey, this isn't about me. I'm thankful that God's allowed me to be where I am, but I know that God put me here and I know why he put me here. Not to make my name great, but to make his name great. So point number one there, it's time to take a stand. To God alone be the glory. Any gifting we have comes from the Lord, and we're to use our gifts for God's glory to minister to his people. Now, all that being said, watch what David does in the next verse. Lord help. Verse three. Then David took more wives. This is what kings did in David's day. And they did it, one, out of their own fleshly desires, and then two, though, a lot of times to build political uh, partnerships with other kingdoms. And what would often happen is one king would give his daughter to marry the other king or, or a, you know, someone in their family. And what that would do, it would say, well, if you're married to my daughter, I'm certainly not going to attack your land. And so David starts taking all these extra wives because it's what other kings do. Now, we just read verse one and two, it's not about you, David, and then he does this. But doesn't it, don't we do the same? Don't we know to do good and not do it sometimes? Amen? And it's so easy when the whole world does it and no one else is gonna say anything about it. And it's okay if you do that. Guys, we do not do things according to what the world says is okay. We wanna be obedient to what the word of God says. Amen? And the world will say, oh, it's okay. You can let it slide. Everybody else does it. Uh, the Lord's command is not to do it. So in case you wonder if, there's, if this is in direct disobedience, Deuteronomy 17, 17 says, neither shall he, it's talking of kings, multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. It says of kings are not to multiply wealth. They're not to multiply horses which is basically another form of wealth, and they're not to multiply wives. And when you see most kings, that's exactly what they do. They have all, these, all this cattle, they have all this money, and then they have all these wives. They have a harem of wives. And so they're almost seen uh, to have greater stature depending on the wives they have. It tells us in 2 Samuel 5 that he also took more concubines while he lived in, Israel, in Jerusalem. That's just a wife without the paperwork. Just another woman. It's just pathetic. It's not enough to commit adultery. I need to fornicate at the same time. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a stable of concubines, and then I'm going to have a bunch of wives that I'm married to. And guess who one of those wives is going to be? She's not mentioned here. Bathsheba. Because it says while he's in Jerusalem, he takes on more wives. 
and Bathsheba's one of those wives. Guys, we must never put our fleshly desires or our desire for political gain above faithfulness to God and obedience to his word. Again, this might have made sense compared to other kings. Well, every other king does it. Well, every other nation does it. Well, every other family does it. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. We need to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Amen? Even if we stand alone, even if we're the only ones who do it, you plus God is a majority. We need to honor the Lord. Sadly, even godly men, again, can fall into the trap and follow the world's example. And again, it was important for kings in that day. They were viewed to be more powerful the larger the harem that they had. We're going to see later that David had at least seven wives by this time. Six are mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 3. And then Deuteronomy 7, 17 again says, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself gold and silver. What ended up happening to Solomon? By the way, Solomon just blew that, that whole thing out of the water. Solomon has a thousand women. A thousand women. He doesn't even know all their names, the women he's married to. I bet he tried to marry some women twice because he knows he's already married to them already. Because as the king, he could just walk through his kingdom and, and see a pretty woman and go, I'll take her. Oh, there's another one. Yeah, I'll take her too. And I'll take her too. Well, here's what the warning was this, that when you marry these women, especially ones from foreign lands, they're going to bring their false gods with them. And they're going to turn your heart away from the true and living God to follow after these false gods. And that's exactly hap what happened with Solomon. Amen. And before you knew it, they had altars, all these false gods popping up all over Israel. And sadly, it started with a man who was more focused on uh, accumulating women than honoring God. And guys, we need not be accumulating things of this world, but honoring the Lord. We live in a time that marriage is under attack, amen? Where marriage is trying to be redefined. Notice it says there, after all the wives, it says, in Jerusalem, and David begotten more sons and daughters, and their names of his children he had in Jerusalem were Shemaiah, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishu, Elphaphet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishima, Belida, and Eliphet. Okay, so he's got all these kids that he's having, and kids are a blessing, and kids are a gift from the Lord. Children are a gift from God. Amen? Praise God for children. And praise God that our country might actually be doing something about abortion. Amen? And we need to keep praying for that. We need to pray for that. The most innocent among us. And while children are a blessing and a gift from God, as is a wife, most of the trouble in David's life comes from his relationships with women and children. You know why? Because he doesn't do it the right way. He, has, he, has too many, he should have one wife. He has too many wives. And then because he has multiple wives and the children aren't being raised the right way and there's competition with the different moms and the different wives, we're going to see this as, as David grows older and his own children. And it's tragic. And by the way, he's not setting a godly example for his kids. Amen? If, you're, if, you're, if you've got a, if, you know, David's case, he's got seven wives at this point. Who's he to tell his kids not to be adulterers and fornicators? How can he do that? So his example has not been good. Guys, it's not just what we do, but how we do it. It's not just what we do, it's how we do it. How, he's ruling as the king, but how is he doing it? It's not just moving the ark, it's moving the ark the right way. It's not just being a dad, it's being a dad the right way. Polygamy and multiple wives is direct disobedience to the word of God, but too often power, position, and success can give us the attitude that we don't have to play by the rules. Does that sound familiar? Power, position, and success make people think that the rules don't apply to them. I'm above it. That's for everyone else. By the way, is there any more obnoxious statement? Uh, there, well, there are more obnoxious statements, but this is one of the, the, one of the worst. Do you know who I am? There are a few more things that are more obnoxious than that. Amen? I had a guy say that to me one time. He said, it was a guy who was in upper management at our company. He was visiting our office. This was 20 years ago. He said, do you know who I am? I said, yeah, a sinner in desperate need of a savior. It's exactly who you are. Well, I'm the regional VP. I said, that and $5 million still won't get you into heaven. Amen? 
The reality is, who, do you know who I am? I know who we all are. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior, amen? And when we get caught up in thinking we're something special, look, we're special to the Lord. So special that he'd rather die than live without us. We're precious to him. We're the pearl of great price to him. But it's only because of his grace. We must never get caught in even thinking that we're more important than we are. It's often true that the seeds of our future trouble are sown in times of great success and prosperity. See, David's doing well, so nobody's going to question him. Who's going to question King David? Nobody. Other than the Lord or the prophets. Nathan's going to come to David. What's he going to say? Thou art the man. He's going to say, you the man, and it's not good. Amen? <laughs> Tells him the story about the sheep and somebody stealing it. You're the man. You're the man who killed Uriah and stole his wife. In some ways, David handled trials better than he handled success. See, when David was in trouble, he manned up. When there's an 11 foot 750 giant, let's go. When the Philistines want to fight, I'm ready. Whatever great battle was in front of him, he was a warrior. But when it came to just being faithful in everyday life, when he was being successful and God was blessing him, he struggled. Because you know what? Sometimes the greatest thing that draws us away from the Lord is when we cease to be desperate. When we cease to be in a place where we know that I need God's help or I'm in trouble. And too often we grow comfortable and then we don't look for the comforter anymore. And David needed to stay humble and usable and so do we. He gets caught up in polygamy. He's got a bunch of children and they're, they're a blessing from the Lord. But sadly, we're going to see that David, because of, this is going to bring a lot of heartache to his life. Having multiple wives, having all the children from different wives. And by the way, every time you see multiple wives in the Bible, trouble. Every time. Amen. Ask Abraham. We're still dealing with that. Amen. Four thousand, three, whatever, three thousand. Dude, Abraham, thanks. Amen. The descendants of Abraham, you know, Isaac and Ishmael are still fighting. We have the same problem. We have the same problem with Jacob. Go down the list. Multiple wives and concubines. And it's always a mess. Because that's what God, not the way God created it to be. Amen? You know why? Because it's a picture of Christ in the church. How many churches are there? One. There's not a thousand churches, Solomon. Amen? There's one church. And there's one groom. There's one Savior. There's one God. There's one King. There's one church. It's a picture of Christ in the church. And sadly, the compromise, again, is fleshly desires, your desire for worldly riches, things of the world, again, they must never go above the word of God. And especially when you're in a position that will, no one will question you. I hope that we all have a few friends that know enough about us that could have us put in jail. Amen? I mean, somebody who knows everything about, we need to, have, you know, the Lord knows, but we need to be transparent with each other. Amen? Look, we're all, we're all on the same side. God is for us who can be against us. We don't have to pretend to be perfect because we all know you're not and neither am I. Amen? Point number three. When we stand for the Lord, the world will stand against us. Now watch what happens. So David's king now and palace is being built and he's got wives and children. It's been established to the world around him and here comes those same group of folks. Here they come, the Philistines. Look what it says in verse 8. Now, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went out against them. So they find out that he has now ruling over all of Israel. For seven and a half years, he just had Judah. They seem not to be as bothered by that. But now that he's the king over all of Israel, they know that they have, you know, that's God's land of promise. And they're they're renting land that doesn't belong to them. They're on a property they shouldn't be on. And so they're going to go to attack David. Now, does David not have the craziest relationship with the Philistines you've ever seen? He kills Goliath. He has them all running. He defeats them in battle. And then when Saul's chasing him, he goes and lives with them and volunteers to fight against Israel on their side. And now he's king and they're going to fight against... What in the world? King David... But again, what happens when you take your eyes off the Lord, even for a minute, when, when you're being chased by Saul, 
and you question and you doubt God's promise. Did God not already promise him he'd be king? What's the answer? So if God says so, then God, settles, God says that, that settles it. Amen? And he was going to be king, but he panicked. And now the, But notice again, the Philistines are coming after him. What does he do? Let's go. He goes out to meet them. He, when it comes to battles, he's fearless for the most part, right? When it comes to those kinds of things, but when it comes to being faithful in his marriage, he struggles. When it comes to being faithful in his wealth and in his success. So when you're a man or woman of God, some like King Hiram will be for you and walk with you, and some will hate you. And persecution is those who hate God are hating the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. It says in the word, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say, all man of evil against you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Right now, it's really not, this is probably the time in the history of our nation that it's least popular to be a Christian. It's the least popular to be a Christian. It's still nowhere near what the rest of the world deals with in some ways. You know, we are, we're not facing the persecution there in China and Afghanistan and other places like that. But it's a time when it's not that popular to be a Christian. They lump us all together and think we're a bunch of hypocritical, hateful people uh, who are homophobes and all that, you know, right? They got this list of all these things that we are. And the sad part is that as believers, sometimes we do exactly what they think we're doing. But here's the reality. As Christians, we are to take a stand for the Lord and recognize that the world will stand against you. Now, you be loving, you be kind, you be gracious. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, but you can do all of that and stand for the truth at the same time. Amen? I want to encourage you to pray for those opportunities. So they're seeking David. Why? To have cake? Crumpets and tea for lunch? No. They came just looking for David. Even again, he had been friends in the past. They're coming to attack him. And when David was away with God's people, he dwelt with them. And when David became the king over God's people, they wanted to kill him. When you hang out with the world and you act like the world, the world will be okay with you. And when you take a stand for the Lord and you, do, and you no longer uh, go the way of the world, the world will have a problem with you. And you know what? Who cares? Amen? Whatever. Doesn't matter. We're only going to answer to him. Amen? He's the only one that matters. And the problem is we care too much about what the world thinks. Amen? We, we, we're so caught up in what the world thinks. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. I'll tell you what, and I've said this before. Having more of my family in heaven has made me bolder than I've ever been in my life because you truly cannot threaten me with heaven. Amen? Heaven is better. We got a vapor of time. We got, th- we got a blink of time compared to eternity, to make a stand for the kingdom of God. And when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And none of, it, none of the rest of the stuff is going to matter. And David's got to take a stand for God here, and he will. They wanted to kill David. They want to silence you. Is it by chance that they wanted to close down churches but leave strip clubs and pot places and, and uh, grocery stores open? It's attack of the enemy, Amen. And we're just not, we can't, we can't say no. The apostle Paul would have church. John the Baptist would have church. Jesus Christ would have church. We're having church. Amen. Friend of God, you'll be an enemy of the world. Choose today whom you will serve. That's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Amen. And that's the exhortation here. So how does David respond? David heard it and went out against him. David responds to God's calling upon his life. When the enemy attacks, the enemy is ready to attack. Sometimes it seems like he comes after those great moments in your life. He shows up. The enemy attacks. He's waiting for you to be in a vulnerable spot and he shows up. David's just been anointed king. A palace is being built. Lord's being worshiped again. Soon the, the Ark of the Covenant is going to be back where it belongs. Everything's moved in, moving in the right place. And here comes the enemy. And he also can attack you. I'm going to be teaching at the pastor's conference again in, uh, 
in um, Hawaii in August, and today I was ass- they gave us assignments of different pe- different uh, judges. And I got Samson, which I love. I love Samson, such an example for us. But when did Samson get attacked? When he was walking through the vineyard, amen. When he was outside of God's will, he had a Nazarite vow. He was not to drink alcohol, not to cut his hair and to touch no dead thing. And he goes wandering through a vineyard. See, and the lion comes out, tries to kill him because Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom we may devour. Amen. So when we're in positions where everything seems to be going well and we cease to be desperate, that's where the enemy shows up. Or when we put ourselves in an ungodly environment and we're in our weakest moment, that's another time the enemy shows up. Amen. So we need to be Standing on guard always. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, prepared. So Satan is threatened by what God wants to do in and through David, so he sends the Philistines. And Satan is threatened by what God wants to do in and through you. Did you know that? Satan hates you, and he's threatened by... You know what Satan, I think, hates more than anything? A Christian on his knees praying, or her knees praying. Somebody, when we worship the Lord, Satan flees from that. He can't stand it. You want to get Satan running, just start singing out loud. Amen? David seems to respond better to conflict than he does to prosperity. David doesn't run. And again, with God is on his side, he had conquered the Philistines before, and he's not afraid this time either. I've seen God show up. He's going to show up again. Isn't that true in our lives? When we see God show up, we know he can show up again. Amen? When you go through a trial and you see God show up, he's the God of all comfort and he comforts you, he strengthens you. He shows up in a time when it seems impossible and now you know he can do it again. He's a faithful God. Notice it says in verse nine, so the Philistines heard, they went out against him. The Philistines went and made a raid on the valley of Rephaim. Rephaim is uh, located a few miles southwest of Jerusalem. So they're coming close to where King David is. Uh, Rephaim is a, a land of the giants. So here come the Philistines into the land of the giants. They're moving towards Jerusalem. They're coming to attack King David. And how is King David going to respond? Now here's here's where David's doing the right thing. Here's the example for all of us. You ready? And David inquired of God saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? See, we can get so confident. we, We stop praying. Has he whipped the Philistines before? What's the answer? He's undefeated against the Philistines at this point. He has wiped them every time they've been in battle. He went and hung out in their camp and they couldn't get to him. So David could have just said, I've always whipped him before, I'll whip him again. I've always had victory in this area before, I'll have victory again. Guys, that's a dangerous place to be. Instead, he stops and he gets on his knees and asks the Lord, should I go fight them? Lord, is this what you want me to do? I've had a lot of people asking me a lot of questions when they're making decisions. And I always encourage, here's what I would encourage all of us. There's counseling for all of us, myself included. A lot of people right now are thinking about moving. People have job, potential job changes. People have different things going on in their lives right now. And they have to make a decision. And I always say this, if God doesn't tell you to move, stay where you are. Amen. Go to the last thing God told you to do, which was to come here. So until it tells you to do something else, stay where you are. Remain faithful to that. But make sure you get on your knees and seek the Lord before you make that decision. Amen? Lord, help me. Lord, show me. David sought God and looked to him for guidance, and he was blessed. God honored David's dependence on him and gave him the promise of victory. By the way, I think it would have been good if he had done this before he married the other women. He's going to go fight a battle. He gets on his knees. He sees a pretty woman. He just takes her without, there's no prayer mentioned anywhere. Amen? Before David sharpens a sword, before he gets to put a battle plan in place, he inquires of the Lord. It's a mark of dependence on God. It's a sign of humility Knowledge that without him, we can do nothing. So how did he inquire of the Lord? It doesn't tell us here. He could have spoke to one of the prophets. Could have just been through prayer and waiting to hear from God. 
There was a thing in the Old Testament where they would have a thing, Urim and Athumim, where they literally would take these things and pray and ask God to show them through shaking these stones, what God wants them to do. So we aren't sure, but here's what I can tell you. We can be sure of how we're to inquire of the Lord. We're to get on our knees and pray, but here's where we get most of our answers. We get it from the word of God. Amen? It says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is our best source of guidance for life. It's the word of God. Why do we spend most of our time studying the Bible in this fellowship? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There may be times we feel God is speaking to our heart. And God can do that. But you know what we always check it against? What do we check it against? Word of God. Oh, I just know that the Lord's telling me to do this. What does the Bible say? He'll never, the Holy Spirit never con contradicts the Word of God. Amen? The Mormons that came to my house recently said, well, I had a burning in my bosom. Pray for the burning in your bosom, and then you'll know that the Book of Mormon is true. I said, I get burning in the bosom when I eat a chili dog. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Amen. I want to, I want to compare it to the word of God. Amen. It's wise to have your thoughts tested against the word of God. And then not only that, here's what else it says in the word. Let the prophet speak to two or three and let the other, let the other judge. It's good to have, the Bible says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. And it's not many people, it's many godly people. Amen. Amen? You don't want to go run to five ungodly people, get their counsel, and then pick the best one. It's still all ungodly counsel. So it's good to, it's, it's the word of God, it's time and prayer in the presence of the Lord, and then, and then we know we'll confirm by the word of God, and there's wisdom in the counsel of other believers. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. Go to other people that know the Lord and can encourage you in your walk. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So God's word and wise counsel and compare everything against the word of God. Verse 11, so he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord, second of verse 10, excuse me, he said, shall I go up? And he said, will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said, go up for I will deliver them into your hand. Amen and amen. I'll tell you what, isn't that wonderful? When God gives you the promise, hey, that battle you're going to fight, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna win handily. Go. Man, you go out with confidence. Amen? Well, guess what? We have promises in the word of God that we're going to close our eyes on earth and open them up in glory. The fact that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Guys, we don't have to live in fear. We can walk by faith because God has made the promises and he will be faithful to them. Amen? And that, that should give us boldness. That should wipe away that fear and that anxiety and that worry. And he says, he seeks the Lord. The Lord says, go. Yes, Lord. I'm going. Verse 11, so they went up to Baal, Perizim, and David defeated them there. Then David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, they called the name of the place Baal, Perizim. They, made it, they named it the place of breakthrough. And the picture here is, is like a, 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 a big, huge flood of water coming against a flimsy dam. And when it hits it, the water starts pressing through, and then the water just gets stronger. And before you know it, the dam is wiped out. There's nothing left in its way. And that's exactly what happened. David goes out, and he takes them on head to head. And God is for him, so who can be against him? And they just run right over the top of their enemy, because again, God is on their side. And a great victory is won. I think the Philistines would learn at some point. God has done such a great deliverance, David named the place of victory after it, the breakthrough of water. Every time someone would go by that valley and ask, what is this place? They would answer, Baal Perizim, and the person would say, what do you mean? The Lord of the breakthrough. Then they would hear the story of God's deliverance from the Philistines in this mighty battle. It's good to remember and have landmarks of great things God has done, amen? It's good to be reminded 
of the things that the Lord has done. Write down to remember. It's good to remind ourselves. You know, I stopped doing this and I need to do it again. It just came to my mind right now. I used to have a prayer journal. And it was literally just a, a journal that had all the days of the week. And every day I would write my prayer requests in there. And I would just write them and keep praying for them and write them and keep praying. Or I'd write other people's prayer requests in there. And then what I would do is I'd go back from time to time and see the prayers that God answered, yes or no. And I would highlight the prayers God answered. And, and I would go back and grab one from five years ago. And I, I remember when they told us we couldn't have children. Because my wife had an ectopic pregnancy that destroyed one of her tubes. The other one wasn't fully developed. They said, you'll never have children. And I remember for three years we tried and didn't have, then we had our baby girl, Ashley. And then another three years went by and we had three boys in 26 months and everybody thought we were crazy and we were just praising the Lord, amen? And we go back and look when we were praying fervently, Lord, please, we want children, please, Lord. Could you, and then you go back and you see that God answers prayer, Amen. Those landmarks are good because we forget sometimes all the great and awesome things God has done for us. And I'm not talking just about temporary stuff. Just remember, that's why we take communion, amen? We don't want to lose sight of the cross. We don't want to forget, not even for a moment, all the things that God has done. When David faced Goliath, he did so remembering how God had delivered him from earlier problems. Remember, he, he helped him win battles against lions and bears, right, when he's with the sheep. And he killed lions and bears with a slingshot. He could take down 11 foot 750. See, God allows us to go through lesser trials and to see him be victorious in him so that when the greater trial comes, we're prepared to step out in faith because we can trust the Lord and the power of his word. He went out after him, it says, speaking of the bear, and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. Man, that's a, I mean, where's the video of that? Maybe we'll get to see that in heaven. I'd love to see that. Now watch what happens here of, in, of, in verse uh, 11. It says, God has broken through the enemies and therefore called the name. It says in verse 12, and when they left their gods there, David gave a commandment that they be burned with fire. By the way, if your God can be left there, <laughs> that is one weak God. If you got to carry your God with you out to battle, I don't want a God I have to carry. I want a God that carries me. Amen? If you have to carry your gods, if they can be captured and burned, I don't want a God like that. I don't need a God like that. The Philistines brought their idols to battle thinking they would defeat the Israelites because David inquired of God and obeyed. They burned the Philistine idols. It says there they were burned with fire. This is the future of all false gods and sadly all those who follow them. Amen? We don't like to hear that. And God hates that more than we do. And you know what? Because of that, we should not be shy about sharing our faith. Amen? Because people's eternity hangs in the balance. That's all that ultimately matters. David here is following what the scripture said to be done with the idols in Deuteronomy 7. It says, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. That's why it's tragic that some people who call themselves Christians have images in their churches. We don't worship idols. We worship the king of kings. Amen. No other gods before us. Burn the ships, burn the idols, destroy them. I catch heat for saying if I was president, I would knock down every, every non-Christian church in the country. And people say, oh, that's horrible. Well, that's what Elijah would do. Amen. Then it says this. So they left their gods there. David gave a commandment to burn them with fire. And the Philistines once again made a raid on the valley. The enemy keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. Sometimes you, you get to a place where maybe there's a temptation you've dealt with for years, and now you've been delivered from it, and you've had victory over it, and you think you don't need to be in prayer about it, and then you find yourself, here comes the enemy again. Here comes that old temptation back again. Here comes that thing I struggled with again. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Satan won't give up until he's in the lake of fire. And that doesn't happen until we're in heaven. Amen? So we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and recognize that temptation will come and the struggles will come. You know, and this is something that's just been 
occupying too much of my mind. I'm just going to be transparent with you for a while. When I would talk to Mark when he struggled with depression for 15 years, he would cry and say, God, why? He'd say, Dad, why won't God take it away? I fasted, I prayed, I've got on my face, I've asked God to take it. Please, Lord, take it. I can't do this anymore. Dad, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to survive, Dad. I'm not going to make it, Dad. I need God to help me. And we would all, we'd get on our knees and pray together. And then I would tell him, son, here's the reality. That doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from the enemy. And the real answer isn't, God, take away the depression. It's when I'm depressed, Lord, help me to run to you, not from you. Amen? See, the enemy, whatever that is, it doesn't have to be depression. It can be whatever that struggle is in your life. The enemy knows what it is, and he's going to bring it at you, and he's going to keep bringing it at you. But you've got to remember, again, the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And with temptation, God makes a way of escape. Amen? So the prayer needs to be, Lord, I know it's coming again, but when it comes, help me, Lord, to run to you and not from you. Help me, Lord, not to, be, to, to succumb to the temptation of the enemy, but Lord, to, to cry out to you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So here they come again. So what does David do? What does it say in verse 14? Therefore, David inquired again of God. Now he could have said, I just whipped them. I just did it. I know what's up. That was, that was round five with them. I beat their giant. I've smoked the Philistines. I just took them all out. Let's just run and do the exact same thing. We'll get the exact same result. Praise God for David. He doesn't do that. And we can become confident in ourselves, right? Well, I've overcome it. I don't need to, I, can, I got this. Do you know that you usually fall in the area of your greatest strength? Ask Peter. Amen? Peter, mister, I'm afraid of nothing, man. I'll, I'll die for you, Lord. I'll never deny you. What does he do? Denies him. You know why? Because he wasn't humble, and he wasn't desperate, and he wasn't crying out to the Lord. And so here, I love this. He inquired again of God, and God said to him, you shall not go up after them, circle around them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. I love when God's specific like that. Amen? He's like, he could have just said, God, I got this. We're going to run right at him. No, no, not this time. They've already seen that one. Here's, I want you to circle around and come around the front and, and, and attack them at the mulberry trees. Man, I like that. Wouldn't you like some real specific answers and some prayers like that? Yes, Amen. Lord, I don't know what to do. Here's exactly what you need to do. Amen. Give you the answer. After the first victory, David was wise enough to wait on the Lord for the second battle. It's easy, again, when you're in the same situation to think you've got it and you don't need the Lord's help. God directed him into a different battle, even against the same enemy, but it's not always the same. I love this commentary in 2 Samuel. Adam Clark says this, how is it that such supernatural directions and assistance are not communicated now? How come we don't get those? Because we don't ask for them. And they're not asked for because we don't expect him to answer that way. And they're not expected because we don't have enough faith. We don't have enough faith because we're under the refined, you know, uh, we're under the spirit of the world and we have no uh, real intimate fellowship with God. I'm talking in general as a church, right? We have not because we ask not. Can God do anything? What's the answer? Well, he can do anything godly. He won't lie. He won't steal. He won't sin, right? But he can do anything. He's God. He's greater than we think. Amen? And yet we, we don't even pray prayers of great faith. Could God bring revival to California and make California the Bible belt of the United States? Could God do that? He could. Wouldn't that be amazing? And our God can do that. And that's why I need a few of you to stay here with me and help me. Amen? <laughs> stay off Zillow, okay? <laughs> stay here. <laughs> we need some Christians to stay here. Amen? So he tells them, don't go up, come around. And he didn't second guess God's answer. So David did exactly what, the, so not only did he inquire of the Lord, but when the Lord told him what to do, he did it exactly the way the Lord told him to do it. That's a beautiful thing. Sometimes we find ourselves in trouble. We go to, go to God for help. He tells us what to do. We do it and we're delivered. But when the same situation occurs, we don't often bother asking God again. God will, always, God will have his people entirely dependent upon himself 
and not upon past experiences. Let me say that again. Our faith is not in past experiences. Our faith is in Almighty God. And the past experiences can minister to us, but we don't put our faith in just doing what we've always done. Isaiah wrote this, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now will spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert and revival in California. God doesn't lead through formulas, but through prayer. We need to keep the Lord in the center of the equation. Stay humble, stay broken, stay desperate for God. You'll stay usable, and God will use you for his kingdom and for his glory if you will but let him. Verse 15. The enemy does not give up easily. Verse 15. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. Then you shall go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. In the tops of the mulberry trees, the sound was going to be like that, not of a a stiff wind, but of a marching army on the tops of the trees. And I believe God was sending his angelic army into battle because God was going to fight this battle. Amen? The Bible tells us we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. Elisha is with his his secondhand man there, and, and they're surrounded, and his man's panicking. And he says, Lord, just open his eyes and let him see. And he sees the chariots of fire and the horses and the angels all surrounding them. Guys, the battle we're fighting right now, the good news is God is for us. And we're not fighting this battle alone. And we serve a faithful God. A spiritual battle is taking place. At that signal that the Lord was at work, when they heard it, they were to rush in. Rush in where God is moving, and we must also, in spiritual warfare, observe and obey the motions of the Spirit when He gives us an opportunity to step out and be used by Him. When you hear the work of God happening, get involved. Amen? Go out to battle. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. God wants to use all of us. There's people in your life that you're the only Christian that has, has access to them in a sense. You're the one that God wants to use. Last two verses. So he tells him what to do. Go out, strike the camp. So David did as God commanded him. Other than the whole wives thing, this is a pretty good chapter, amen? He prays, he seeks the Lord, he does it. He prays, he seeks the Lord, he does it. Praise God. So David did as God commanded. They broke, they drove back the army of the Philistines from Gibeon as far as Gezer, about 15 miles had them running for 15 miles in the opposite direction, scared them back. Again, because our God is greater than any enemy. Again, he didn't just hear it, he did it. It says in James chapter 1, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He did this by waiting for the evidence of God's work. God told him, here's when it's going to be time to battle. You're going to hear it in the mulberry trees. You're going to hear that army marching. You're going to hear it. And you're going to know that it's time to step out in faith. And he waited. And he didn't step out before he heard. Like Saul did when he was scared of the army mounting up. And he went and offered the sacrifice himself. And the kingdom was ripped from him. See, it's not only obeying God, but it's obeying God in his timing. Amen? It's doing what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants. Amen? Not our way, but his way. Last point there, be doers of the word. And then it says, the fame of David went out into all the lands and the the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. The Lord brought the fear of him. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. An obedient and faithful believer strikes fear in the heart of the enemy. Amen? You can strike fear into the heart of the enemy. When you are a man or a woman of the word, you're a man or a woman of prayer, and you're a man or a woman of faith, and you're obedient to what God has called you to do, it strikes fear into the heart of the enemy. Amen? And again, isn't it good to know that in the battle, the battle belongs to the Lord, and God is for us, so no one can be against us. Amen? So this three-month period here, between when he tried to bring the ark, now next chapter on Wednesday, I'm going to give it away to bring in the ark this next chapter, but you're going to find out they're going to do it the right way this time. And that's the one thing about experience. It's a great teacher. Amen? They're going to learn from it. When you do it your own way and it doesn't work, that's a good thing because it makes you want to do it God's way next time. Amen? 
and we want to obey the Lord. So in closing, it's time to take a stand. To God alone be all the glory. Any gifting we may have comes from the Lord. We're to use our gifts for his glory and to minister to his people. Number two, we must never put fleshly desires or worldly power or riches above faithfulness to God and his word. It's too easy to follow the pattern of the world and compromise as the enemy of calling. Number three, when we stand for the Lord, the world will stand against us. We can't expect them to treat us any different than they treated our Savior. The enemy does not give up easily. And you know what? The attacks from the enemy are coming, but we don't need to fear him. We leave him in God's hands and be doers of the word, not hearers only. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. Lord, I pray you'd stir us up. Lord, help us not to be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Well, Lord, give us opportunities and take a stand for you. Lord, we can't do it apart from you. Without you, we can do nothing. It's not us trying harder. It's us getting on our knees more. It's us seeking you with our whole hearts and surrendering our lives fully to you. Lord, I pray for everybody here tonight. I pray for opportunities tomorrow to minister to somebody. Rather, to speak to an unbeliever and encourage them to tell them the truth, to, to, to encourage somebody that already knows you, to, to, be, to represent you well to a lost and a dying world. We pray for those divine appointments when people come knocking on our doors. You love them. We need to love them. Lord, we pray for our coworkers that don't know you, family members that don't know you, neighbors that don't know you. And Lord, we're, we're just saved by, by grace, Lord, and we know that. It's all because of you. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. So Lord, help us. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. May we be tools in the hands of the Master. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.